0: engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it now the end abortion podcast by priests for life father frank frank pavone is the national director for priests for life among a lot of other things and i'm not going to try to go through all of them It's in the program. Feel free to (laughs) take it and read it. Father Frank, would you like to come up? (laughs) Susan, thank you so much. It is great to be with you. Great job uh, on all the work that you do. It is great to be in the free state of Texas. (laughs) and I'll tell you what today this very day landing here coming here I kissed the ground for the first time today since I was 14 years old because that's how old I was when Roe vs Wade was handed down For the first time today, I am in a state that has more freedom than anywhere else in this country for the unborn child. And I want to thank you for that. It's so great to be not only with all of you who are leading East Texas Right to Life, but with Senator Brian Hughes. Thank you and your colleagues. your colleagues and everybody who made it possible for the unprecedented protection of the unborn that has been taking place here in the state of texas over these recent months i want you all to know that we as we're going to honor senator use tonight we honored him in january at the national prayer service on the day of the march for life i invited him to come and he did come and we made it clear that day that we were honoring all of the pro-life legislators of Texas, all of the other public officials who have made this possible, and all of you. We were honoring and we continue to honor and thank all of you for the tremendous pro-life witness that you give. So I'm gonna renew that thanks here tonight among you. So great to be with Mark Lee Dixon. The sanctuary cities for the unborn are growing, multiplying, they will continue to do so. I mean, this is really a, this is really a, a slice of heaven tonight because we also have not only such great leadership in the civic arena but such great leadership in the church. Bishop Joseph Strickland, so good to be with you. And. Keith Fournier, who works with him, Deacon Keith and I have been working together for some 40 years on various initiatives in the pro-life arena, in the ecumenical efforts of the church, just in the proclamation of the gospel, and in the encouragement of deacons throughout the nation. You know, I requested, a few years after my ordination by another great pro-life giant in the church, Cardinal John O'Connor of New York, I requested of him permission in 1993 to devote my entire life, all my energy, all my work, all my ministry to the defense of the unborn. And he said yes because that was his heart and his passion too. So I can tell you now since for all these years now nearly 30 years a full-time focus on the abortion issue, full-time involvement on the international, national, state, and local level of, of the pro-life movement, I have never been more confident, I've always been confident, but never more confident than this very night that the days of legal abortion in this country are numbered. <laughs> you know, we see it here, You see, we see it right here in Texas, what has happened continues to happen uh, with the heartbeat law, we see it in 2021 being the year that more pro-life measures were advanced throughout the states than at any time since Roe versus Wade, and the other side is not happy about that, and we see a tremendous victory on the horizon in the Dobbs case of the Supreme Court, and we'll say more about that in a little bit. But this is a moment, brothers and sisters, of tremendous victory for the pro-life movement, tremendous progress, And we have always said over the years that the closer we get to victory, the more unpredictably unhinged the other side will become. And we are seeing that before our very eyes. If you want to know why we're living in a country where we just had a Supreme Court confirmation process where the nominee couldn't tell you what a woman is, if you want to know why things have become so outrageously ridiculous, that we don't have a southern border anymore, that we have a major political party in our country, i.e., the Democrat Party, who can't seem to tell the difference between a legal or an illegal immigrant, can't seem to tell the difference between a violent riot and a peaceful protest cannot seem to tell the difference between a dignified withdrawal from another nation and an abject surrender, and cannot tell the difference between reproductive rights and the violent dismemberment of a baby. The other side has become In the words of Senator Marco Rubio, whom I was with the other night at another event, he got up and he said, you know, the battle is no longer between conservative and liberal in this country. The battle is between common sense and insanity. That is the battle. The other side has become unhinged. And I wanna tell you this right now, I think you, you know this and appreciate it as deeply as I do. What is at the core of all this insanity? It's abortion. It's abortion. Look at USA Today, yesterday's edition. The article, the front page article about Judge Katanji Brown Jackson begins and ends with abortion. Read Molly Hemingway and Carrie Severino's book about the confirmation process of Justice Brett Kavanaugh and all the insanity there. They analyzed it, every single line of every single document. They come to the conclusion all this insanity was over abortion. We are at the flashpoint, brothers and sisters. We are committed to this issue. We who are committed to defending our youngest brothers and sisters This is what all the fighting is ultimately about. And this is where the devil's fury, if you look at it from a spiritual vantage point, is also most focused. And the other side is unhinged. Now, you know when they started really getting unhinged? You look at all what's been going on. When somebody by the name of Donald J. Trump was elected to the presidency. That's when they they, they, they completely lost it because they knew they were gonna lose the Supreme Court, and they knew a lot of other things were gonna happen. No president, why is it that no president has ever had the kind of sustained, malicious, concerted attacks on him in, in our entire history? Well, he explains it perfectly. Not so much having to do with him. It has to do with us. Never forget when he was inaugurated what he said. So today is not so much about the transfer of power from one party to another. It's the transfer of power from Washington to you, the American people. And he says over and over again, as a matter of fact, he's speaking right now. We're, we, we should have gone to his rally instead of having a, he's having a rally over in Georgia. Yes. By the way, he's going to have another one next Saturday night and another one this Saturday night after that. You've got to make it a Saturday night. Habit, okay, 7 p.m. Eastern time, 6, 6 p.m. York time, um, President Trump, you listen to what he says. He says, they're attacking me because they're attacking you, and I'm standing in their way of coming after you. It's us, it's not about him, it's about us. And he's the first one to say that. But they became unhinged, and you know, when he was first elected, you know, people were saying, yeah, you know, and his first few months went by and everything, and people said to me, well, has he done anything for the pro-life movement? And I said, listen, he's gonna do a lot of great things for the pro-life movement. He has already done great things for the pro-life movement, but I'll tell you what the number one greatest thing was that he did for the pro-life movement on day one. In fact, before day one. You know what he did for the pro-life movement? He kept Hillary Clinton out of the White House. (laughs) (laughs) But the insanity over abortion really started in 2019. You look at the beginning of that year, When the Democrats took over the legislature in New York, they took away every remaining scrap of protection and regulation of child killing in my home state of New York. They got rid of it. And then other states up in the Northeast followed suit. Recently now, just a few months ago, New Jersey, let crazy, these crazy pro-abortion laws that represent something that the other side has always had on the fringe, in other words, when you would go, for example, to the March for Life, even more so the Walk for Life in San Francisco, which is the second largest annual event in the pro-life movement in America, you would see, you know, these protesters with the orange signs, abortion on demand without apology. Now, not even Roe v. Wade says that. That's not the policy, you know, that's their extreme extreme position of the really hardcore pro-abortion. These are the kind of people that they won't even, they won't even tell you not to call them pro-abortion. They are proud to be, not pro-choice, but pro-abortion. They say it, not not, not just us, okay? These people used to be just, you know, the radical uh, fringe of the pro-choice movement. Now they're mainstream. The pro-choice movement, if you even want to use that term, because, by the way, it's contrary to fact. Women don't get abortions because of freedom of choice. They get it because they feel they have no freedom and no choice. We're the ones that give them choice. So that's another conversation. The point is, they have made the extreme mainstream for them. They've thrown away all pretense. And they no longer apologize for the fact that they want abortion on demand without apology. They don't want limits on late-term abortion. They don't want parental involvement laws. They won't want any of the measures that the vast majority of the American public has always supported. They don't want any of it. They don't even want to protect babies who survive abortion. So Now, we're not even talking about the unborn. We're talking about the born. They don't even want to protect them. So these extreme laws are being pushed and we just saw them try, but fail, on the federal level. Now have tried this before, but this one was the worst of all the various iterations of this totally pro-abortion federal law, they call it the Women's Health Protection Act. It failed, but narrowly failed. It would erase all of these reasonable restrictions on abortion, all of them. Abortion on demand without apology was actually voted on by the United States Congress. Democrats lockstep with one another and with the abortion industry, completely out of step with the American people and with morality and with God. Completely out of step. And why is it, how can it be when the American people have never supported this and they know it? How can this be? Brothers and sisters, they have thrown truth out the window. And when I say this is all rooted in abortion, just think about it for a moment. The only way you can end up saying a woman is not a woman or a man is not a man is if you said for 50 years a baby is not a baby. This is a complete denial of truth. And you know why it's a denial of truth? Well, that's what pro-choice in its essence means. Choice has to do with the will, not with the mind. It's an assertion of will. What I choose is good, not because the thing itself is good. Not because the thing itself has any inherent value. What I choose is good because I choose it. That's the idea. It's a self-validating choice. So of course they don't care about any kind of truth because they've thrown the whole idea out the window. What we need to be doing, what we are doing, and what I want to urge you to continue doing in more and more creative and bold ways is to expose the extremism. Expose it. You know, the outside does our work for us. The American people are not with them. They're with us. And so we just expose it and we win. This is a biblical principle, by the way. Ephesians 5.11. Paul says, have nothing to do with the fruitless works of darkness, but rather what? expose them it doesn't. it's not just it's not enough that we don't participate in the works we have got we just don't st- we don't say oh well those are evil works so I'm gonna stay over here I'm not gonna have anything to do with that that's just the starting point second point I'm gonna I'm take out my lamp I'm gonna take out my flashlight and I am gonna expose what's going on over there in the fruitless works of darkness because as John's gospel tells us when the light comes into the world there are some who run towards it because their deeds are done in God, but there's others who run away from the light. Why? For fear to be exposed. And this is why they want to shut off the light. You would think, hey, listen, you don't want to worship the way we worship. You want to believe in the Christ that we worship. All right, then fine, go then go do your own thing, but leave us alone. But they don't want to leave us alone. They don't want to give us the freedom to do what we do. They don't want us to be able to proclaim and live and worship Jesus. They don't want to allow us to give witness to our pro-life views. Not because they have anything against us, but because it exposes them. Have nothing to do with the fruitless works of darkness, but rather expose them. Expose the fact that the Democrat Party has, for a long time now, been blocking a bill in Congress that would strengthen protection, okay, here we are again, this is incredible, for babies born alive after abortion. It does happen, it's documented, and they need more protection than they currently have under both state and federal law, but they don't want to give it to them. They don't even want to talk about this. They don't even want to have a debate. The Hyde Amendment, another piece of evidence of their extremism, this amendment, which has saved two and a half million lives by making sure our tax money through Medicaid does not fund child killing, was supported in a bipartisan way for 40 years, even under the Clinton administration, even under the Obama administration, the budgets were signed into law with the Hyde Amendment intact until now. It was only by sheer force, God bless them, our Republican pro-life lawmakers in Washington, they stood firm and they said, to the Brandon administration (laughs) that we will not
1: go along
0: with this wholesale funding of child killing in America, we will not. The the Democrats had to give in. So the Hyde Amendment has been preserved for now. But just like the, the Women's Health Protection Act, the very fact that it was a debate is a horror. That we have got to expose Listen, not primarily right now for the sake of converting them, but for the sake of awakening the voters. Let's understand what the priority is here. If you have a madman with a gun in his hand, your goal at that moment is not to convert him. <coughs> is it? You want now. Neither are we going to forget about the goal of converting him. We're gonna convert him, we're gonna hear his confession. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna help him become a saint. After you get the gun out of his hand. What do we have to do right now in America? We have got to take the power away from those who don't know how to use it. For the purpose for which government was established, the protection of life, not its destruction. Yeah, I want the Democrats to be converted after they voted out of office. (laughs) Listen, I I can give you the history we can go on all night. When I became director of Priest for Life in 1993, we worked together, hand in hand, side by side, with the pro-life Democrats in the United States Congress. There were lots of them. I even stood at a press conference in front of the DNC in support of a bill that would help women to have more options than than, than abortion. It was just good stuff. And we had people as committed as we are serving in Congress as Democrats working for pro-life. They've disappeared. Not that they aren't there. And tens of millions of Americans who belong to the Democrat Party are as pro-life as we are. They don't realize the party has abandoned them. They're coming to realize it. But these men and women, it's not that they've disappeared from America, they've disappeared from political power because the party doesn't want them. The party doesn't want to support them. You'll find some on the state level, of course, but when I'm talking about the federal level here, they're gone. Even here in Texas, you know what happened in the primary with Henry Cuellar. He was like the the remaining one half uh, pro-life member of the House of Representatives, the only one who sometimes voted pro-life. I've sat down in his office many times. The point is, brothers and sisters, that right now, we are dealing with a situation where we have got to show the voters what's going on. The main object here is not that we think that, uh, uh, you know, talking about the, how extreme the Women's Health Protection Act is, is gonna convince these, 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 these lawmakers to change their minds. We gotta convince the voters, get them out of office and stop uh, allowing them the power to do what's being done. Now as this craziness is is happening on the legislative level, boy have we got some bright light coming out of the Supreme Court. And once again, thank you President Donald Trump. Without him, no matter what people might think about him, we wouldn't be at this moment right now. We'd be no Dobbs case. Let me just tell you in a nutshell. What's happening here is that the other side, and you'll hear this more and more over the coming months. By the way, we don't know when this decision is coming out. Everybody says June, June is coming out in June. It could come out next week. We don't know, we do not know. The Supreme Court has not committed itself to any timetable on this. And remember, the oral arguments were December 1st. So I mean, it's there right now they're issuing decisions of cases that were argued in November. So this could be in a few weeks. The other side is gonna yell and scream, oh, the Supreme Court is taking away woman's right to abortion. No such thing. Even in the best case scenario here, what they are doing is saying to lawmakers like Senator Brian Hughes and and so many other pro-life lawmakers across the country, the court is going to be saying, you can do your job now. You can do the job that you were elected to do without us blocking your way. That's what this is about. I say to the folks on the other side, oh you're so worried about what the Supreme Court case is gonna do with dogs? Listen, you're free to make your case. Go to your lawmakers and if you can convince them, go to your fellow citizens and if you can convince the voters that it's a good idea to chop the head off a living baby, well go ahead and make your case because you can still make your case and the legislators can still do what they did in New York and in New Jersey and in a number of other states. Abortion on demand, without apology. But you see, now they have to make their case. And that's why it's a victory for us. They have to make their case without hiding behind the robes of the justices. You understand? And plenty of lawmakers are more than happy to hide behind those robes. Oh, they go to the voters in a town hall, they're asked a challenging question on abortion. Oh, 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 I'm, 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 I think abortion is morally wrong, but it's out of my hands. The court took it out of my hands. And they're right, not anymore. This is what we're hoping for now on the horizon, that the court is actually gonna say that in order to protect unborn babies, you no longer have to convince this unelected, unaccountable group of nine people on the Supreme Court. Your audience now is 330 million people of your fellow citizens. Make your case. Our case is the stronger one, our case is the more cogent one, and all the briefs, if you read the briefs in the Dodd case, which I urge you to do, we have a special website, supremecourtvictory.com, that has a prayer campaign, and it has videos and interviews with people who wrote the briefs, we wrote one of them, at Priests for Life, and we delve into the arguments like you'll find nowhere else. And you read these briefs, and basically what they're saying is not just that Roe v. Wade is immoral and unconstitutional, which it is, one of the key arguments coming through is that it's obsolete. Understand what's being said here. And many of the sitting justices on the Supreme Court right now have written in the past that even a standing precedent can and should be reversed if it becomes obsolete. In other words, if the development of law and of science and of culture ultimately override, they override the decision. It's not the court that's going to override Roe v. Wade. It's culture and law and science that have already done so. The court's just going to be able to recognize that. Because the uh, the astonishing thing in the history of this Dobbs case is that when Mississippi passed this law saying that we're going to protect babies starting in 15 weeks, and by the way, that's 13 weeks of development because it's 15 weeks measured from the last menstrual period, so it's 13 weeks of development. When they said we're gonna pass, and by the way, we we honored as Senator Hughes knows, the, the Mississippi legislators also, back in January at the National Prayer Service, we had several of them there, for passing this Gestational Age Act. Understand what happened. When the district court heard the case, heard the challenge of the Jackson Women's Health Organization <laughs> against that law, they didn't even consider any of the evidence that the lawmakers had poured over meticulously and presented intelligently as their reasons for passing the law. The court didn't consider, oh, the science is advanced, we know about the baby, abortion harms women, we know that better than ever, Uh, more opportunities for pregnant moms than there were at the time of Roe v. Wade, pregnancy centers galore that didn't exist at the time of Roe v. Wade, all these things have changed. The court wouldn't hear a word of it. They just dismissed it all, why? Oh, because you're trying to protect them before viability. Understand the absurdity of this. Let lawmakers do their job. They are eyes and ears on the ground, they see the evidence, they can have hearings, they receive testimony, they can do amendments, they have debates, they have a vote, and if the lawmakers and the people of a particular state want to protect their unborn children at 15 weeks, if the lawmakers and the people of a particular state want to protect their babies at the time a heartbeat can be detected, for goodness sake, let them do so. That's America. And that's the victory we're Now all of this, all of this that I've said so far feeds right in to another key priority for the pro-life movement right now, the midterm elections. Right. Now, we gotta focus on 2022. The temptation might be to deal with 2024 right now. And the other side, that what they would like to see happen is that we create a circular firing squad and start arguing about who would be the best choice for 2024. I mean, not that we shouldn't think about that. I can tell you, President Donald Trump is intending to run. There's no question about that. He's going to run. And if he runs, he's going to win. God preserve his health. That's the only factor here that, that, that could change things. But he, you know, and his calculus is very, I'll tell you what, his calculus is very selfish. I was just with him the other night. His calculus is one simple question. Can I do something to keep this country from going to hell? He said, they're destroying this country, and they are. Can I do something about that? That's how he decides. That's how he does it. And if you ask him, if you, if you were here right now and you said, Mr. President, are you going to run again? You know what he would say to us? They're destroying our country. Those would be the exact words that would come out of his mouth. Watch the interviews. He's telling you how he thinks about this. But we don't have to worry right now, and this is why he's not making a formal announcement, among other reasons, that right now, we've gotta win the midterms. By winning the midterms, we put up a solid roadblock to all this extremism that we see coming from the Democrats, not just on abortion, but on the economy, on national security, on the border, on the education of our children, Sorry, but we don't want in public office people who are gonna indoctrinate our children that America and its constitution are racist. How can you take a public oath as a legislator to, to uphold the constitution when you think it's a racist, evil document? Get out of office, we don't need you. In fact, if that's what you think of America, go somewhere else. I mean, we have had enough of this, enough already. This is nonsense. So the midterm elections can put a big, big firewall in front of this extreme, unhinged agenda of the Democrats. Now, is it gonna be favorable for us? Absolutely. You know, the Senate, there are, I think we can take back the Senate. There are certain key states to watch for Senate races. Georgia, that's why President Trump is there tonight. Pennsylvania, Nevada, Arizona, these are, these are gonna be key Senate races. We can flip the Senate. But the House, the House behaves a little different politically. It's more subject to waves. And, 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 and what we're seeing, there are basically three indicators. You wanna know what's gonna happen with the House of Representatives. You look, first of all, at the generic ballot, okay, do people generally prefer to vote for Republicans or Democrats, well, the Republicans are ahead in the generic ballot right now. You also look at two other things. The president's favorability uh, levels. They are at an historic low. Only about a third of Americans right now approve of the job description of the Brandon administration, only about a third. That's low, that's way, way low. In 2010, when um, Obama had his first midterms, at this point in time, you know what his approval rating was? 49%. You know how many seats his party lost in that midterm in the House? 63 seats. And his approval rating was at 49%. Now you go back to 1994, the first midterm election when Clinton was in office, his favorability was 55% at this point in time. That November, his party lost 52 seats in the House of Representatives. So if the Biden approval rating is only at around the high 30s, they're in trouble. The third factor, when you look at the wave that affects House races, is the right-wrong tracking. Okay, you know the right-wrong tracking. How many Americans think the country's on the right track versus the wrong track? Only about a quarter of our fellow citizens right now, only about 20, 25% of them think we're on the right track. Of course, I don't know what kind of drugs they're taking. (laughs) I mean, I know we have a drug problem in our country. I didn't know it was that bad. (laughs) <laughs> but, but, but they actually think the country's on the right track. But that's significantly, significantly skewed. When you've got three quarters of the country saying, hey, we're on the wrong track. Well, the voting booth is one of the places where you can go to change that. Now when you go to change it at the voting booth, boy oh boy, you better have secure elections. And I can assure you that we in the pro-life leadership, our focus is abortion. But we understand right now that working for election integrity is key to winning this battle. And we've all gotta be on that same page. Thank you, Texas. I know you passed election integrity already. Um, there are five basic pillars to it. You know what they are? Voter ID, simple thing, signature verification. Is this really your signature? You know, does it match? Cleaning up the voter rolls. I mean, you can't have an organization unless you keep your mailing list up to date. I mean, they get people, people, you know, and addresses that don't exist anymore, and on and on it goes. It's, it's a data task. That's all it is. We got full-time people just at our organization. It's all they do all day is keep our list clean, keep it up to date. Bipartisan, neutral observers at the, at the polling places. Uh, things like this, these, these pillars, and then, of course, chain of custody. Okay, what happens to your ballot after you hand it in? All of these things, these are common sense measures supported by the American people. I wanna encourage you tonight, let us make sure in our communications across this nation that voters are highly aware of the priority of this. And finally, the church, the church and elections. Now I have written and spoken a lot about this. On the table where I have my literature, which I hope you'll take a moment to stop before you leave tonight, I have a book. One of my books is called Abolishing Abortion. And in there, it's basically like a manifesto. What, is, what do we have to do to end abortion? What's the next step? And I talk about what the state has to do and some of the pro-life strategies, and then I talk about what the church needs to do. What are, the, what are some of the obstacles? And one of the big obstacles for the church is this silly notion that somehow the Constitution demands us to shut up when it comes to elections. We wouldn't be the United States of America unless the church spoke into the world of politics. Read, I have them on my desk at home, the, the book's this thick, there are several volumes, The Political Sermons of the Founding Era. It wasn't just the rocket's red glare that launched America. It was the pulpit's red glare. You know this, if you studied Study the history. The church spoke. The body of Christ
1: rose up.
0: I believed, therefore I spoke, Scripture says. Cry out full-throated and unsparingly, the prophet Isaiah declares. We speak when we believe and when we see especially the destruction of God-given rights. Now, some people, when I talk this way, Some people say, by you see, the church is becoming too political. The problem is not that the church is becoming too political. The problem is that our politics have become too pagan. And when in the midst of a government that actually doesn't just allow, but promotes baby killing, crushes the freedom of the church, lets criminals just walk into our country as though the law didn't matter, and come into our communities, and kill our children, and kill our, our friends and relatives and make our families unsafe and they can embarrass us on the world stage and all this stuff is happening the freedom of the church is at stake and the fundamental rights of the human person are at stake when the church stands up and challenges that kind of a political regime that is not the church being political that is the church being the church on the same principles, but you just have different ideas of how to get there, then there is a legitimate neutrality of the church. The church is not supposed to be a political party. We don't make the laws, just like the the lawmakers don't decide what scriptures we read at our Sunday service or appoint your pastor. There is a legitimate autonomy, obviously. But we're not talking about policies by people who agree to the same principles and are after the same goal, and they mean well, but they just don't, they just disagree. We're dealing with people who don't mean well. We're not talking about a division in politics anymore. We we all love America, we just have different ideas of how to help America. We've got people in office who hate America. We don't talk here about just policies, we're talking about the principles that underlie those policies. And when it comes to something like whether you can kill an innocent child, the principle is the policy. They're one and the same. They merge. So there is no room here for neutrality. We in the church, look, let me put it this way. Our platform is not the Republican platform, and it's not the Democrat platform. Our platform as the church is the platform of Jesus Christ. Now... Now take that one step further. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, the letter of the Hebrews tells us. So it doesn't change. Doesn't change every four years, you know. Although some people in the church today seem to think it does. Yeah. I got news for them. It doesn't change. Okay. Political parties do. Now if I stand up and say the unborn child has a right to life. It cannot be taken away and you have to protect that child. I'm speaking off the platform of Jesus Christ. That happens to correspond almost verbatim to the platform of the Republican Party. So some people are going to say to me and to all of us who are clergy here, they're going to say, oh, you, you, you can't be partisan. You can't even appear to be partisan. You cannot, I mean, there have been memos issued throughout the United States by various dioceses, you cannot, they say, even appear to be partisan, I'm quoting now directly, I've got it in my book, read my book, that said, and these memos say things like, you know, we cannot say anything when we're preaching that would appear to favor or discredit, notice these words, appear to favor or discredit any political candidate or party. All right, so now let me please explain this. If anybody here tonight can explain this to me, I would be very, very grateful. How do I stand up and proclaim the gospel? The life is sacred that these children have to be protected and not appear to be favoring a party that says exactly the same thing and appear to be discrediting a party that says exactly the opposite. If you're telling me I cannot even appear to favor or discredit one or the other, you know what? You're telling me to shut up about the gospel, and to that, I say, no way. the church become partisan or that we become a political party because you know what if tomorrow the Republican Democrat platform swapped positions on abortion or any other issue our message would not change we're not in this to pollute, to support a party but for goodness sake if the party is supporting the gospel we are going to we're standing side by side and we're fighting side by side. Some people have said to me as I've done this message over the years, over the decades, through Priests for Life, and I invite you to become familiar with what we're doing. Many of you are. Our main political website is pro pro As I've been doing all this work since the first election we really got involved in heavily, was 1994. So we've been doing this for a long time. You know what people said to me starting back then? They said, Father Frank is calling for a Vatican takeover of America. And my response is, no, I'm calling for an American takeover of America. We have in the Catholic Church, just four days ago, on our calendar, even though it's not universally celebrated, on the calendar of the saints, uh, a a, a cardinal by the name of Blessed Clemens von Galen. He became known for three sermons he gave on the sanctity of life when the Nazi regime was coming into power and, and, and killing the innocent and suppressing the freedom of the church. The man was a bishop, then became a cardinal, and now he's being canonized. And the church, the church is honoring it. He preached politics. Now, you know the story of St. Maximilian Colby, another one of our saints. Auschwitz, right, they state they, 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 they indiscriminately choose prisoners to kill, and this man is a husband and father, and, 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 and Colby stands up and says, let me take his place. I don't have a, a, a children, or, or let me take his place. And they, you know, with a little glimmer of compassion that they really don't know anything about, they said, okay. So everybody thinks of Colby in, in the light of that very moving story, which we should without asking the question, however, how he got into that camp in the first place. From a monastery, he was broadcasting and publishing pamphlets against a political party that had come into power, that was suppressing the right to life, and that was hindering the freedom of the church. I am standing before you tonight I'm standing before the entire nation. We are all standing before this nation tonight. And we are saying we are living in a nation where a major political party is suppressing the right to life and suppressing the freedom of the church. We will not be silent for some kind of fake religious reasons. This demands speaking. We canonize these saints. And then when we actually try to follow their example, we get punished. I'm telling you, we, clergy, that talk like this, get punished. All right, you know what? You do what you have to do. We're going to do what we have to do. And you and I are encouraging each other on this tonight, brothers and sisters. We're going to win this because this is not something we invented. This is something, as we said already, that we stand on as the unchanging platform of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why, no matter what kind of terrible evils we are dealing with here, we can be joyful in this fight. And we are joyful in this fight. We are filled with serenity. You know, one of the biggest things we do, it's not just that priest wife is doing all this this political action and, 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 and the advocacy and the education. We do the healing. We operate the world's largest ministry for healing the wounds of abortion. People who've had abortion are coming back to the We don't condemn them. We embrace them. We who reject abortion do not reject those who have abortions. We embrace them with the peace and mercy and forgiveness of Christ. That's why you'll see again on my table, let me just tell you a couple of things that are there. In the heart of his mercy, this is a little prayer booklet Prayers of compassion and healing for all those who've been wounded by abortion. Not just the mom, and not just the dad, but the grandparents, siblings, friends, the abortionists themselves. There's a prayer card, uh, there's a brochure there, the Bible's teaching against abortion. There's another one called Ending Late Term Abortion. There's another one called My Heart Beats Just Like Yours, a new educational project about the, 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 the development of the unborn child using brand new images of the baby that are just astonishing. Uh, brochures about how to help the clergy deal with abortion, 10 responses to pro-abortion politicians, and um, a prayer card for the courts, and also some other prayer books there, Daily Devotional, and a few other books that I've written on abortion. So, take time, stop at the table, see what we have there, and most of all, you know, when I come to events like this, I always say, many of you we've had relations with for years, for decades. Others, maybe we're just getting to know each other for the first time tonight. But we want these events to be the beginning of real, true, effective collaboration so that we can win and celebrate the victory. And I tell you tonight, we're already celebrating a victory here in Texas, but I tell you tonight, it won't be long before we'll be having banquets like this, celebrating the fact that the unborn are once again protected just like the born. We will be seeing that. It's not in some far distant future. We will be seeing that. We will be celebrating that. And for your commitment to bringing that day about quickly, once again, I thank you. Once again, I tell you that you are an inspiration to all of us at Priests for Life. And once again, I say, thank God that somebody is doing something. I I, I finish with this story. uh, uh, It was Mike Huckabee whose daughter was, he was taking his uh, Sarah through the Holocaust Memorial in Washington when she was a little girl. And she wasn't saying anything as she was looking at all these horrifying displays. And then at the end, there's a guest book you can sign, and she signed it, and there's a place where you can leave a comment. So he was leaning over his daughter's shoulder, and she wrote in the comments, why? didn't somebody do something? And then he knew he had done the right thing by bringing her there. Because that's the response it should elicit. When the history of this fight against child killing is written, thanks to you, thanks to you in this room and throughout the great state of Texas, people will not say, why didn't somebody do something? People will say, thank God somebody did something. Keep doing it. God bless you. Thank you for having me. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.